Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. About seven days ago was the end of spring break. And I don't know how many of you took advantage of spring break uh, and traveled. Some of you may be going, spring break? I got no spring break. That's like the bad thing about leaving the educational environment, right? You no longer have this beautiful little solace in the middle of March. Uh, But if you had a spring break, maybe you took advantage and you went someplace. Uh, I normally don't take a spring break trip, but last week was different. I actually had the opportunity to go uh, to San Francisco for the weekend. Um, And that was to be a part of a wedding that uh, a friend of mine and someone that many of you know, Kurt Roeming, he's one of Wildwood's missionary partners, got married last weekend in San Francisco. And so I went out there to the wedding. And the wedding was on Saturday. My flight back to Oklahoma was a red eye on Sunday night into Monday. So that left all day Sunday just to enjoy this beautiful city. Uh, And me, together with a few friends, we decided that what we wanted to do was actually leave the city and to drive north out of San Francisco along Highway 1. If you've ever been out there, this is just an amazing, amazing stretch of road as it it winds along the coastline and provides these beautiful vistas of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, And as we headed north on Highway 1, there was a destination that we had in mind. We, We wanted to go to this place called Point Reyes. And Point Reyes was just a, 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 this great place, a national park area. Uh, and we went up there because we heard it was a great place to have views of the Pacific Ocean. It was a great place to see elephant seals and even to see whales as they were migrating this time of year. And so we went up to Point Reyes, uh, and we knew those things about Point Reyes, the, the wildlife in the Pacific. But what we didn't know uh, was that Point Reyes actually is one of the most dangerous places in the United States. It's not dangerous because of high crime. There's more cattle than people out there. Uh, But Point Reyes is dangerous because it sits on a particular part of the Pacific coastline that is one of the deadliest to sea travel. Uh, There's a sign at, at at the place that said that it was the foggiest and windiest point on the lower 48 seashores. And numerous ships over the years have crashed along the rocks there, uh, not able to see because of the fog or or driven ashore by up to 130 mile per hour winds. Uh, And so as you see this scenario unfold, uh, the lighthouse that the United States built in 1870 makes more sense. See, this lighthouse was constructed to provide some relief to ships so that they wouldn't crash along the shore. And at the lighthouse, there was a light that spun across the top, and you've seen these before. And there was also a a horn that would sound on a regular interval uh, to keep the travelers safe. And what was interesting to me was at this lighthouse, I was just kind of taken by this lighthouse. At the lighthouse, there were a couple of signs that caught my eye. And one of the signs talked about uh, instruction that was given to the workers at the lighthouse when they first started working there in 1870. This was the quote, you see it on the screen. It says, During heavy gales of wind, snow, rain, and hailstorms, the lights must never be left unattended by a keeper. It's this idea that the light existed to keep people from crashing. So it was important, no matter what the circumstances, no matter how bad the conditions, for that light to remain on. But what's happened is, over time, it became less necessary for someone to actually man that lighthouse. Technology allowed them to monitor the light from a distance. 
technology allowed them to go from a, a, a coal-fed steam foghorn to an electrical pulse that had a sound that could be heard miles and miles away. But there was an interesting sign, another sign, that said this. It said, certainly no one will question that technology has improved our lives and the way we navigate along the coast. But when there is no one keeping vigil on the point of the kings, what has been lost? Well, that experience at the lighthouse really caught my attention because it reminded me that, that lighthouses are necessary to protect people in difficult conditions. But it even provides more comfort to know that someone is actually manning that lighthouse to provide help in time of need. And I was thinking about that experience in that lighthouse and reading about its history and thinking about our Christian lives. See, in our Christian lives, we're surrounded by wind and waves and rocks that seek to threaten us everywhere we turn. Temptation to sin, diseases to, to struggle with, relationships that, that, that crash about in our lives, whatever it might be, the, the difficulties that are out there that we experience on a daily basis feel as though at times they're driving us to the rocks to crash us. But what's awesome is that God in His, in his providence and in His love for us establishes a lighthouse to show us the way and to protect us from harm. The lighthouse is things like His Word that illuminates our way. The lighthouse is the church that is the city on a hill that is not hidden, that, that, that points the way that God wants us to go. And so there are lighthouses that God has established, but one thing that we need to always remember is that God doesn't just set up a lighthouse that is operated by technology. God sets up a lighthouse and then He Himself mans it and does not leave it unattended. God Himself is mindful of our situations and is providing care and comfort for us in the midst of this life. And this morning, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that reminds us that God is in control. And that reminds us that the God who is in control has chosen us for a particular purpose to cross over into a new life. And we're going to see that today through the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In a message that we're going to entitle, Chosen to Change. Chosen to Change. From 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So if you've got a Bible, open up to 1 Peter Chapter 1, the first couple of verses. This is what they say. And we're going to see two things from these verses in our time today. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Now, in those two verses, we're going to see two things today that encourage us that God is in control and that he is calling us to cross over into a new life. Now, the first thing that I want us to see is this, that we are chosen. We are chosen. Now, we see that in chapter 1. Verse 1, as Peter begins this letter. Now, I believe that our English translations do a wonderful job for us in helping us to understand the true 
uh, in meaning of the passage. But one thing that happens in any translation is, is that it goes from Greek in its original to English in our translation, the New American Standard or the NIV or whatever you've got in your hands. In the process of that translation, at times they will try to smooth over word order so that it's more understandable for us. And at times, in the process of smoothing over that, we, we lose a little bit of, of the original impetus of the passage. And I believe that 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2 is one of those passages that we lose a little something in the translation. You see, when, when Peter wrote this originally, this is how it read. It said, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the chosen travelers scattered about. That's how he began it. Peter, an apostle of Christ, to the chosen travelers who are scattered about. Peter begins this letter to let the believers know that they have been chosen. He begins this letter to us today to let us know that we are chosen travelers who are scattered about. Now, what does that mean, chosen travelers scattered about? Well, the first part of that is that we are chosen. Peter wanted the the believers who received the letter, and God wants us to know today that, that we are here because God has chosen us to be here. We're not here because we're smarter than anybody else. We're not here because we're more righteous than anybody else. We're not here because we've impressed Him more than anybody else. We're here because He simply chose us to be a part of His family. Now, when when you hear the word chosen related to the Christian life, many times we focus on the negative. We have all these questions that are like, if I'm chosen, that means that somebody else might not be chosen, and how can God be fair if I'm chosen and they're not? And we we have all these questions. I I want you to just... Press pause on your mind for a second, okay? And I want you to think about all those negative thoughts you just have with the word chosen, and I want you to put them in a little box and close it for just this morning, okay? We don't have time to address all those questions. I want to instead focus this morning on the positive aspect of being chosen by God. See, when we are chosen by God, that that ought to warm our hearts. It ought to make us leap with excitement because we have been chosen. We are people who love to be chosen, You know, in elementary school, you wanted to be chosen to be on the kickball team, right, at recess. You wanted to be one of the first few picks, at least I did. When you get to middle school, you want to be chosen to be invited to the school dance. When you get to high school, you want to be chosen to receive the scholarship or to be admitted to the college of your choice. When you get in college, you want to be chosen to to receive the, the job that you, your first job out of school. When you have the first job out of school, you want to be chosen for the promotion, Whatever it is, we want to be chosen, and we like being chosen because it means that someone thought that we, they saw value in us for whatever the position was. There's there's some value bestowed when you are chosen for something. And many times, we don't even care what we're being chosen for. We might not even like what we're being chosen for. We may not like kickball, but we still want to be picked first. We might even like that girl or guy, but we want to be invited to the dance. We are people that merely like to be chosen. Now think about this for a moment. If we are people who like to be chosen, how amazing is it that the God of the universe is choosing you to be with Him forever? How deep the Father's love for us that He would choose people like you and me. See, we are chosen. We're chosen. But we're chosen travelers, He says. See, the idea there is, your verse might say alien or sojourner. The idea is that we have been chosen by God to receive the blessings of eternity. But as we live out our lives, we live them out in a land which is not our own. 
We live them out in, in, the, in a context where people don't share the values that God espouses for us in Scripture. We live our lives out as travelers or as aliens or as sojourners in a land that is not our own. And you know, the, the, the idea of being a, a traveler or a sojourner is, or an alien is, is, is kind of funny for me because I, I've lived my entire life within 180 miles of where I'm standing right now. Um, there are lots of implications of that, right? My accent is an implication of that. All these things, within 180 miles of this point, I've spent my entire life, short, except for short trips and things like that. Uh, so because of that, there, there are a few cultural times where I feel just really out of place. But there's times whenever you go to a foreign country or you go to a different city where you really feel out of place. Last weekend in San Francisco, I felt like a fish out of water to some degree. I mean, just thinking, I, I, I must have said a thousand times, I can't imagine living this city life. Just everybody's all on top of each other and in the hills and in and, and the ocean and th- this would be their life. I mean, everybody looked a lot healthier than I was. I mean, all these things were racing through my head. I felt like an alien. We, we went to uh, dinner for the rehearsal dinner. Kurt married uh, someone who was uh, a descendant of Chinese immigrants. So we, we went and had dinner uh, at a Chinese, authentic Chinese restaurant for the rehearsal dinner. And, uh, you know, we're or we walk into the restaurant, and I'm like, what a beautiful aquarium. No, that was actually dinner, swimming there. And um, it's over here, and, and then we, we get the dinner, and we have to eat with chopsticks, and, and everything is a name that I can't pronounce, and I just don't understand many things. I'm just a full-blown Oklahoma hick at this point. Um, but, but there I was eating this, and I just, many times I just felt like, man, I am just out of my element here to some degree. I feel a little like a traveler. And you know what? That experience... We all have as believers at times because we find ourselves living out our Christian lives in settings uh, where people don't share the values, the basic fabric of who we are in Christ. Uh, The laws that are passed we might not like or believe in. The the, the, the things that are are talked about in schools, we might have trouble with some of those things. And our neighbors might have different schedules that they go by and different things that they do. And can you let your child go spend the night with this person or with that person? We, We feel like aliens at times. Peter says it's okay. We're chosen travelers that are scattered about. This idea is that God's people were scattered about. They were scattered about places like Pontus and Galatia and Asia and Bithynia. That's where Peter is writing to. But, you know, believers today are scattered about all over the world as well. You know, there was a time where the people of God resided in a nation, the nation of Israel. But now, in this current time, the people of God are scattered everywhere, all over the world. In places like Norman, the people of God are scattered about. Chosen travelers who are scattered about. We are chosen. And what's interesting is, when we think about the implications of the fact that we are chosen travelers scattered about, the beginning of verse 2 says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, some of the ways that the NIV or the NASB have set this up, you think that just the choosing was a part of the foreknowledge of God. But the way that it's set up in the original language, that whole idea, the idea of being chosen travelers scattered about, is all according to the foreknowledge of God. All of that. That means that God, before all time, before you were ever a twinkle in your mother or father's eye, 
before the earth had cooled, saw this day. Before there was ever a place called Norman, Oklahoma, he saw this place. Before there was ever a country called America, he saw that country. Before there was ever a you, he saw you, and he saw you here. With a fatherly, loving knowledge of you and of all the details of the universe, God saw it all. You know what Peter's saying? The lighthouse is not unattended. God is there presiding over all of this. He's aware of everything. And you're exactly where He has called you to be. What are the implications of that for us? Well, the implications of that are, we hinted at it earlier, if you are a believer in Christ, it ought to remind us that we're here not by accident, but because God called us to be on His team. God invited us to His eternal dance. He wants us with Him. He wants us to do His work. He has chosen us to be with Him. That ought to give us great confidence in dealing with our Heavenly Father because He has chosen us. It's by no accident that we are here. And furthermore, it's by no accident that we are where we are. God knows that we live in a land that is, that is difficult. He knows that we are merely traveling through it. He is according to His foreknowledge that the conditions that exist at your work exist at your work. It is by His foreknowledge that your family is your family. It is by His foreknowledge that you are scattered about the world and not all just located in one city where we all sing Kumbaya 24 hours a day. It is by His foreknowledge, by His loving concern for us, that we are where we are. And like a a ship on the Pacific, hearing the, the gong of the lighthouse and seeing the light flash along the shore, that ought to give us confidence that we are in the hands of a God who loves us and who knows where we are. And knowing that we are chosen, the question we should be asking is, we're chosen for what? What purpose are we chosen for? Why does God select us and invite us to be on His team? The answer to that is found in the balance of verse 2 when He tells us, that we are chosen to change. We're chosen to cross over. We're chosen to change into a new life that He has prepared for us, a life that exists in a new realm. Look look at what it says uh, in verse 2. He says, after according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, He says, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Again, this is a, a smoothing over in the English that I think loses something in the translation. The idea here is that we have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God and we've been placed within a a realm that is our sanctification. We've been placed within an environment where the Spirit is moving us in the direction of being sanctified in Christ. We've been placed, you might think of it like being placed in an ocean. If you're placed in an ocean, there is water all around you, you're swimming in the ocean. The idea of this passage is that as we've been chosen by God, we've been placed in an ocean of our sanctification. So the question ought to be, what is our sanctification? What does that mean, that we've been placed in the realm of our sanctification? Well, sanctification is the biblical idea 
that though God has declared us righteous in Christ, we are ever growing in our experience of that righteousness. We're forever having our our character shaped more into the image of His Son. We're forever uh, taking further steps of obedience and, and, and gaining a greater understanding of who God is. You see, when we have been chosen by God, we've been placed into an environment where everywhere we turn, God is about the process of sanctifying us, of making us more holy. If, if all of that is in the realm of that, then, then all those things he mentioned earlier, the, the places where we are traveling about, are all within the sea that God is using to shape us more into the image of, of, her son, of His Son. Have, have you ever imagined that the place where you live, the family that you reside within, might be some of the greatest tools that God is going to use to shape you more into the, into the image of His Son? You ever thought about the, the work environment that you're in might be just God's very tool to chisel you a bit more towards Him, the relationships of your life. We, we live in a sea of sanctification, a realm where God is shaping us according to His foreknowledge in the direction of holiness. But as we're being shaped, it says that we're being shaped in the realm of sanctification in the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God inside of us that is shaping us and moving us along. And that Spirit of God has a current that is moving within us in particular directions. And the balance of of, of verse 2 actually gives us two stops that when the Spirit is moving within us, it will take us along a current that will have at least two destinations. Those destinations are, 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 are mentioned here. The first one says, to obey Jesus Christ. Again, something's lost in the translation here. The actual preposition would be toward, that we have, are moving toward obedience to Jesus. The Spirit in the sea of our sanctification is moving us along in a direction toward obedience to Jesus. Realize that's God's will for you. God's will for us right now as we live our lives in Norman, Oklahoma. You wonder, what does God want for my life? Well, He's going to be shaping us and He's going to be crafting us and His Spirit's going to be at work in us, but, but it will always be at work in the direction of calling us to obedience to Jesus, calling us to follow Him. You want to know what God's will is for your life? It's found on the pages of His Word. We follow Him by reading and hearing and seeing what He wants us to do, and then by faith and the grace of God and the Spirit that's at work within us, walking in that direction. There's a current that the Spirit of God is moving, and that, that current takes us in the direction of continued growing obedience to Jesus Christ. But, but not just toward obedience. There's a second stop as the current is moving us along. That second stop, it says, is toward being sprinkled with His blood. Toward being sprinkled with His blood. Now, that's an interesting phrase, and it's one that we really need to kind of mine a little bit to get more out of it. Uh, the idea of being sprinkled with blood was a common uh, thought from the Old Testament. And uh, there was one particular case, and I think... Peter has in mind here, uh, and, and that has to do with when, when lepers would be sprinkled with blood uh, for their cleansing. In, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 14, it talks about how 
people who had leprosy in Old Testament times would be placed outside of the community in a leper camp. And when they're out in this leper camp, uh, they would be cut off from God's people. And they would be cut off from the worship of God because the worship took place in the temple. And they were, they were cut off from those things apart from the people of God out here. They were still members of the community of God's people, but they were cut off from that kind of fellowship with God. They were, they were cut off from the fellowship with God's people. And let's say when they were out in the, this, this leper colony, that, that one of them were to have their disease go into remission and the leprosy were to go away. Well, it was possible with the leprosy removed for that person to reinitiate into the community. And one of the things that would happen as they were being reinitiated into the community is that a priest would go out and meet them at the edge of the camp and would sprinkle blood on them. And that was part of the process of their cleansing that allowed them to restore fellowship with the people of God and with God himself. And I think what Peter is getting at when he says that we are moving along in the current toward being sprinkled with his blood is it's the idea that even though we are a part of in Christ, this letter was written to Christians, the, the community of God, sin has this amazing power to make us feel that we are cut off from fellowship with God and from fellowship with God's people. It's one of the powers of sin. It wants to separate us from God and from his people. Now you think about that. If, if you've had a particularly difficult week and you, you've blown it a thousand ways, one of the products of that might be that you might not want to come to church on Sunday because you feel like, I've had such a miserable week. How could I be clean enough to worship God today? Even though we might know that, that in eternity we might be forgiven and all those kinds of things, we struggle experientially with worshiping God in the midst of that. Sin has that effect on us. Same thing with our relationships with each other. We want to conceal our sin. We don't want those around us, we don't want our brothers and sisters in Christ to know about our sin because we feel like it would divide us further from them. And what Peter is telling us is that as the Spirit of God is working within our lives, we actually get sprinkled clean on a daily basis by the blood of Christ. This means that we no longer, because of the sin in our weeks, have to fear coming before God on Sunday to worship. Because we're clean. We have been sprinkled with His blood. It's part of the current that we're being swept along in. We no longer have to fear others finding out about our sin because we've been sprinkled clean. Because of the work of Christ on the cross and His death on our behalf, we have a promise of continued, consistent fellowship with God and with the people of God. What an awesome gift that we have. You see, we have been chosen, but we have been chosen for the purpose of being changed into someone that follows Christ in obedience and someone who is sprinkled clean by the blood of Christ. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness to us, for your love for us, and for the power that you offer to forgive us from our sins through the work of Christ on the cross and to set us up into a new life of walking in obedience to you. Father, thank you. We pray now that you would help us to, to be ever grateful, ever thankful, and ever broken before you as we remember your cross, where your love and your justice come together 
to offer forgiveness for your children. In Jesus' name, amen.